the Lord Jesus Christ, you want to understand what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit and to walk in the Spirit? Look at Jesus. Here he is. God manifest in the flesh. You can look at him from above, from the left hand, from the right hand, from behind, from in front, getting down here. You can Whatever angle you take to look at Jesus, you will see God, God, God living out his life in a fully human person. This is what it looks like. And so this Jesus, who is an authentic rabbi, <laughs> teacher, we find in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7 on the mountain. The disciples have come up the mountain. He is seated. They are standing. And they are listening to what he says. And he has already described the kingdom of God as the blessing. We've got the eight beatitudes, the eight blessings that Jesus lays out. Kingdom blessing, 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 blessing. You know, it didn't have to be that way. Well, it did. Let me back up. It did because of the nature of our God. But look at all the things that a kingdom could be. This, we, have, we have experienced as fallen human beings nothing but wickedness in, to one measure or another. The most wonderful realms this world has ever witnessed have fallen on their faces compared to this kingdom. Jesus is describing a kingdom of undiluted blessing and glory. And he welcomes us into it. And then he tells us how not to disqualify ourselves from it. And he has been speaking to actually, in this Sermon on the Mount, he has been talking about the Jewish religious outlook and practice that has stepped away, actually stepped away from what God has disclosed through Moses. Now, they picked up some of Moses' laws, and they said, okay, yeah, you shall love your neighbor as yourself and hate your enemy. Wait a minute. It does say in Moses' law, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Well, where does it say hate your enemy? But see, they had added that. So I can love the guy. And literally, this is what had happened. I have a responsibility to, live, to love the guy in the house on this side of my house and the guy in the, in the house on this side. Everything, uh, that's it. When I love those two guys, I'm done. I'm not making this up. We need to make the law of Moses doable. Everybody else, it's open season to hate them. I'm not making that up. And Jesus says, the Bible doesn't say that. Love your enemies, he says. And he's gone through this. And he's talked about murdering people is not just putting a knife in them, it's hating them. And adultery isn't just the act of adultery, it's lusting in the heart. 
the purpose of Moses' law, the law given, excuse me, God's law given through Moses, was to drive us to cry out to God for mercy. It was to show us our sinfulness so we would do what David does in Psalm 51 and say in Psalm 51.1, the adulterous murderer, David, have mercy on me, O God. And you know what David found a thousand years before Jesus came? But based on what Jesus would do for him on the cross, he found mercy. He found mercy. He wasn't put under two piles of rocks. He found mercy. We are to serve one another. We're to love our enemies. And then beginning in chapter 6, verse 1, Jesus continues, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be that they may have glory for men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, Pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father For your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The title of this message is An Audience of One. Who do we live our lives before? Do we live our lives before our family? Do we live our lives before the community? Do we live our lives before our classmates, our co-workers? Well, in an inescapable way, we do. But for the Christian, there's only one member of the audience that really should have our full attention. And that is God. And when we walk with him 
as the one, the sole person to whom we seek his favor, his approval, his shepherding, his protection, his guidance, the exercise of everything about him. The, the Bible says we dwell in the heavenlies. Every resource of heaven. Ephesians chapter 1, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Right now, I, Paul, as I'm writing to you Ephesians from a prison cell, am actually dwelling in heavenly blessing, heavenly provision. That's the reality of the Christian life. As we saw in chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, and then the next paragraph, verses, one th verses 5 through 8, where he's talking about giving, and he's, and he's talking about prayer. You don't give in a way to draw human attention. Now, what happens if you do? Hey, people will appear. I mean, if you write a million-dollar check and give it to some charity, and they put that's on the front page of the newspaper, or that charity will certainly highlight this because it's an encouragement to other people to write million-dollar checks. But what does Jesus say? You have your reward. You people will stand back and say, "Whoa, a million dollars! That's fantastic." I admire you. How generous of you <coughs> to give one million out of your billion. And people will give you accolades. But what does Jesus say? That's as far as it will go. You've received your reward. You did it before the eyes of men. You can give anonymously. But it won't be anonymous in heaven. Because to give to a legitimate need anonymously is to give it publicly in heaven. And God's noting it down. And you will step into, when you step into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, that will be remembered and there will be an eternal dividend from that. But what Jesus says here, this is actually what was done. <laughs> Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do. And I think you, the last message or the one before that, I mentioned they're in the, in the temple. They actually would have an offering basket or bin, and above it they had what resembled the horn of a, trump, of a, a tuba. And it would like a gigantic funnel and men would come in and empty their cloth bags with coins into their hands and they'd stand back and throw them and it make as much racket as they possibly could with their gift and that was what it was set up for it was meant to draw attention to the giver that was the whole point and it was called sounding the trumpet 
And Jesus speaks in Luke's gospel of he and the disciples are there in the temple and they're witnessing this. And then there's the widow who has just two mites. And she cautiously, quietly walks up, reaches into it. Think, think you can't even hear them fall into the basket. And he says, she gave more than all of them because she gave out of her need. In preparation for this message, I came across a document that was came out of, written in about 125 AD. The Emperor, Emperor Hadrian of the Roman Empire was persecuting Christians. And there was a man in Athens by the name of Aristides, not the famous, most famous Aristides of about the 5th century BC, but another Aristides also in Athens. And he wrote a letter to Hadrian. And he says, let me tell you about my observations of Christians. They give to people that can't give back. If they have someone in their number who doesn't have any food, they will fast for two or three days to save their food so they can hand it to this person. If one of them dies and there isn't enough money to provide a decent burial, they will sacrificially give so that that person can experience a decent burial. They serve one another, and they serve people who are outside of their congregation who can't possibly repay them, and they do it quietly. This is what I have observed. This is about 90 years after the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're not giving for human attention. They're giving an obedience. And it is stated in an aston with astonishment. It was not characteristic of the Roman world. This man is expressing astonishment in his communi communication to Hadrian. That this is how Christians act. Nobody else does. Just last week, I mentioned in the message, this a Navajo woman, this is about 100 years ago, a Navajo woman who was in the process of dying. Her family could see she was in the process of dying. And so they didn't nurse her. They put her out in the desert to die. And after three or four days of exposure out there, she was discovered and brought into a Christian hospital there in this town in Arizona, a, a, a mission hospital. And finally, she, the dedication of the white, and to her as a Navajo woman, that was what struck her the most. This white man is serving me? And he was the instrument that God used to restore her life. And after a month in the hospital, one of the Navajo nurses says to her, when are you going to leave the idols? Stop worshiping the Navajo pagan gods and worship Jesus. Well, I don't know what is Jesus, 
like. And at that very moment, the doctor walked in, whom she had expressed astonishment that he would serve her. And she said to the Navajo nurse, well, if Jesus is anything like that man, I can trust him forever. And she became a Christian because she saw his spirit of service to her. Do your deeds before God, and God will himself reward you openly when you step into his presence. And when you pray, do not, and literally, <laughs> there were Jewish men that would do this. They would send trumpeters through the, through the streets. And then they would stand on a street corner and publicly lift up prayers to God. And, and everybody's standing and watching and is impressed. I mean, after all, you know you're going to get positive response to this. And Jesus says they've received the, the, the message is struck the eardrums. Those, it doesn't go to heaven. <laughs> it goes no further than the eardrums of those people who stand back and are actually awed by this. But God isn't awed by it. No. They have the reward. They got the approval of their neighbors. And that's as far as it will go. God isn't impressed. You know, God is usually not impressed by what impresses us. <laughs> Therefore, do not be like them. Notice this. And I would dare say when Jesus spoke this word, he shocked his listeners. Therefore, do not be like them for your father. Knows the things you need, you have need of before you ask him. I was shocked a couple years ago when I went back and I got out my big exhaustive concordance and I looked up the word father and how often it's used in the Old Testament you know three quarters of our Bible is the Old Testament you know how many times God is referred to as father in the entire Old Testament eight times most of the time he is only called that when Israel is in absolute desperation and they've got abs they have blown it spiritually and morally so bad they have nothing else and they cry out to God. You see this in Isaiah 63 and 64. You see them crying out, okay, okay, final thing, you're our father. You told us you are our father. When did he tell them that? The very first time is in Deuteronomy 32. Moses' last words to Israel. It's called the Song of Moses. And it is God's message through Moses to Israel on how this is how I, God, am going to restore an extremely rebellious Israel who has done everything they could possibly imagine to do to offend me. I mean, it is so bad. Israel is going to be so bad. They've already been so bad. They're going to be even worse. Frankly, Israel, the only thing that's going to save you, and he says this, is if I hammered you, 
the world would take the credit for it. And I just can't let those pagans take the credit for it. And so I'm going to save you. That's pretty thin (laughs) thread. But he says there in Deuteronomy 32, I am your father. I don't believe they would have had the courage to call him that if he hadn't called himself that first. Deuteronomy 32.1, Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak. And hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teachings drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, as drain drops upon the tender herb and as showers on the grass. For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. He is the rock. That's the first time also that he is called the rock. He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are justice, the God of truth, and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. They have corrupted themselves. They are not his children because of their blemish and perverse and crooked generation. Do you thus deal with the Lord, O foolish and unwise people? Is he not your father who bought you? Later on in verse 18, of the rock who begot you, you are unmindful and have forgotten the God who fathered you. And they come, Jesus says to them, how should we pray? And later in Luke's gospel, the disciples are going to come to Jesus and they, they've watched him pray and watched him pray and watched him pray. And they said, would you give us a prayer lesson? And he gives them exactly the same prayer lesson. And I'm sure as he's giving it to them there in Luke's gospel, as this recording there, they're thinking, oh yeah, he's told us this before. Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. The Creator God says in Isaiah, He holds the creation in the span of His hand. Between the tip of His thumb and the tip of His little finger, the entire creation fits in the span of His hand. Can we say big? (laughs) Powerful, immeasurable power. The wisdom that made the creation all the detail, all the engineering that is so astonishing. It's all his. And what does he call us? Our father? We have right here a little (laughs) infant being held by his grandmother. That is a replica 
Uh, stand up, Dorothy, and hold that baby up so everybody can see it. Come on now, let's do this. There it is. You see, that's us in God's arms. That's us in God's arms. He is as devoted to us, even may I say more so. Now you may you can take a seat again. <laughs> but he is as devoted and delights in us as much. As much. Satan tells us, oh, yeah, well, God will accept you. You've heard the gospel. You trust in Christ. But he's going, okay, well, yeah, I guess I have to take the stinkers too. No. He takes the stinkers, cleanses us of our stench, lifts us up, and looks on us, just as Dorothy's doing right now, with Judah, examines us and delights in us. And folks, that isn't just something that happens for a couple minutes and then he goes and picks up another and picks up another. No, he is doing that with us all the time. He is as with us and even more so as Dorothy is with Judah looking right now into his face. What do you think Dorothy would do if somebody came up and threatened her grandson, oh, you don't want, I mean, <laughs> well, DJ, his grandfather also, it's, that's what God, that's his, that is how devoted God is to our defense and protection. That's the truth, folks that Lucifer does not want us to get. God is our Father in all of the good fullness of that meaning. Devoted, 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 devoted even to the point of discipline. <laughs> when spankings are appropriate, it is a loving, the easiest thing to do dad and mom is to walk away and just turn your back on no you know better just yesterday on facebook i there's a young man that i know young man he's about 40 <laughs> but he's got a little he's got about an eight-year-old son and he's like for the first time ever my son did, I don't know what his son did, he got really angry. But he said, I'm wrestling with this. Well, thankfully, he's surrounded by Christians who were able to give him some sound advice on how to be consistent. And all. But you see, he's looking for help in correcting his son's behavior. Our God's commitment goes to that point. He does, when we turn our back on him, he does not turn his back on us. He pursues us with wisdom and guides our steps to the place where we will turn back to him in repentance. He will administer the spanking in the appropriate way to bring about an authentic repentance. And there isn't a one of us in this room that
that is seeking after Jesus that hasn't, can't say, yes, amen, been there, done that, God is faithful. Why is it the common experience of God's people? Because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our, is there a better term than Father to communicate the reality of the intimate relationship we have with God? The intimacy he purposes? How often in our walk with God do we put a stiff arm out and say, okay, Lord, I'll be back later? No, 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 no. He's our Father. And so as he says to them, in this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven. Well, that's not a statement about God's remoteness. That's a statement about God's power. Just a few minutes ago, I quoted from Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to quote it again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ, in the person of Christ. Because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, paying sin's penalty for us, we, we hear of what Jesus did on the cross. What, what, what did he do there? He took my place on that cross. He took sin's penalty for me, said, it is finished, the debt's been paid, now... I am brought into God's kingdom by a simple act of holding out an empty hand and saying, God, fill my hand with mercy and grace, please. And he is free to do that because his son paid my fine. He paid my debt. And he brought me into that relationship. And I now dwell in metaphorically speaking, I dwell in the heavenlies. Every resource of heaven is available right now. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, present tense, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. I am in Christ. I'm a beneficiary of what Jesus did for me on the cross, through his cross, through his resurrection, through his ascension to the right hand of the Father. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore into all the world and preach the gospel, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I am with you. I'm with you. I, am I in heaven? Yes, but I'm with you. And all authority, all of heaven's blessings, all of heaven's resources go with you wherever you are. Now, we don't walk around in royal robes, I hope. <laughs> we don't walk around in royal robes. We don't wear signs of authority on our persons but we have the authority Amen. we have the resources we have God's wisdom available for us we have his goodness attending us at all times and his power and his power it's all there our father in heaven Hallowed be your name. Okay, that is a word that's just been kind of almost ruined by Halloween. 
where does Halloween, what does the word Halloween mean? It means all saints Eve. It is the night before what is in the Christian calendar was called All Saints Day. And so Halloween was All Saints Day Eve. And so the idea is you run around out there, the demons are doing their last bit of devilry, deviltry, before All Saints Day when their power is totally broken. And that's the idea. But hallowed, to be hallowed means in the Greek language is the same word translated sanctified or set apart. It's all saints. Hallowed, our Father in heaven, hallowed, set apart your name. Well, we gave thanks to God earlier in our prayer time for God cleansing our brother John Hennigan of cancerous tumors in his brain. What is one of God's names, and is found in the book of Exodus, is the Lord who heals. The Lord who heals. That's one of his names. Exodus 15, 26, Yahweh or Jehovah Rapha. Israel had come across the Red Sea. Pharaoh's army had drowned behind them. They're now in the wilderness and they come upon a place where they can get water, except the water is really bitter, and it's not drinkable. And they are complaining at Moses. And God says to Moses, you see that tree over there? Cut that tree down and throw it into the bitter water, and it will make that bitter water sweet. It'll make it a pleasant drink. Can we say, like the cross of Jesus Christ? And so Moses does this weird thing of cutting down this tree and they throw it into the water and it becomes sweet. And God says, I healed the water. That is one of my names. And I want you to call me the God who heals. And so when you have sicknesses come upon you, call out to me. That's one of my names. Now, in my and I can give you one of these if you want. I've got a whole page here that I made up of the names of God. What's he saying? Pray according to my names, my reputation. That's why I gave them to you. Hallowed be your name. And so we prayed for in praise to God for his cleansing, John Hennigan, of his cancers, tumors. We gave thanks to God for cleansing Paula Richards of her inability to oxygenate her body and she went from a uh, declaration that she was going to die to now being perfectly normal <laughs> in her oxygen level for Cole Lotz, her son now being able to hold reasonable good conversations after having part of his brain no. this is God showing up my wife we gave thanks to God. We've, but God does that over and over and over. Hallowed be your name. The problem we uh, 
I love giving thanks to God for cleansing other people of cancer, delivering them from physical debilitations, but I don't really want to go through that myself. But God says, oh, no, 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 no. You need to understand it. It may not be a physical thing. It may not be a sickness or a disease. It will, I test my people not to destroy them, but so that in the midst of the test, they might trust me, trust me, trust me. It may be a financial test. It may be a personal relationship test. But trust me to shepherd you through the test. And you will see me work. When we give praise to God for people being cleansed of physical problems, who are we giving praise to? God. He's hallowing his name in their life experience. Our Father, the one whose focus is never off of me, who is present in all of his person, all of his abilities, his wisdom, goodness, power, actually walks me through tests so that he can demonstrate as I trust in him his wisdom, goodness, power, and the world stands back and says, whoa, look at that. Just as a few minutes ago, I quoted this fellow Aristides and the letter he wrote to the emperor Hadrian. These Christians... They don't act like anybody else. They actually sacrificially serve one another. Even people that aren't part of their congregation, they're out there helping. That was unheard of. It was. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Faith, hope, love. The three basic principles that we must have a firm grasp on to walk a walk before God that truly brings praise and glory to him. Faith, we believe the Bible's declarations about him. We believe his names. We believe his promises. Hope. Where's my expectation? Where's my expectation? As Christians... Our investment is to be totally the kingdom of God. Totally the kingdom of God. As one good missionary put it, I've learned to hold the things of this world loosely. (laughs) They belong to God. Martin Luther said, whatever I've tried to keep for myself, I've lost. (laughs) Whatever I've given to God simply remains. It's still here. But we are to live our lives with the focus on that kingdom that's coming, that when it comes, it's never going away. And we will be tabernacling, as it says in Revelation 21, with 
Jesus, with God the Father, with God the Son, with the Holy Spirit. We will be dwelling in their presence all the time. We're talking about unrestrained, unbelievable blessing. We don't even have the frame of reference here to even get. So poor is the best that this world has to offer by comparison. Your kingdom come. Lord, I will sacrifice to feed somebody else. I will fast, as Aristides said. These Christians, they will fast for two or three days to save their food so they can give it to somebody else who has none. Why? Because the kingdom's coming. When they're going to sit down at the marriage supper of the Lamb... And that won't even be on the scale. Oh, no, 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 no. Jesus is going to go way beyond any sacrifice we thought we made for kingdom glory. He's going he's to weigh us down with kingdom glory in response to the small sacrifices we had made. He is going to delight in it. Your kingdom come let's pray together our lord you are the audience even though we are sitting in a room with many other people the significant presence for each of us is you. I'm asking this as much for myself as for any other person in this room. That if there is anything in our value system, anything in our pattern of choices that we make on a daily or weekly basis that does not conform an authentic walk with you, if there is anything that we value, if there is any treatment we make of other people that doesn't reflect you, we are asking right now that you will grant us a spirit of repentance, a change of outlook, a change of values, and a change of choices. Because your kingdom is coming and we need to be doing your will. We ask for this from you, knowing it is your principal will and purpose for us. In your name, Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.